to support Michael. All right, Galatians, if you're new with us, we have been journeying through the book of Galatians since January, looking at every word and every sentence. We believe in the expository teaching of the scriptures, and so we have been taking our time feasting on Galatians. It is a kind of um, a, it is a powerful book. The Apostle Paul kind of comes out swinging uh, because the gospel is at stake. The truth of the gospel is at stake. And so we have two more sermons in Galatians, and we will conclude our study. Uh, I thought we might be finishing it up today, but there's so much in here, we needed two weeks uh, on these few verses. So I'm going to read these verses, uh, and then we will unpack them here together. Galatians 6, we're going to be in verses 11 through 18. Paul's concluding his whole letter that he's been writing about people adding to the gospel, adding external efforts to the gospel, and not believing Jesus by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. These are his final concluding words. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is to those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And all, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So Paul starts uh, this closing section, these, these kind of landing of the plane moments as he's been expounding on this wonderful letter with some pretty strange words, Right? He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. You're like, well, how do I preach that? What's going on here? What's he talking about? It's like got like almost shades of Little Red Riding Hood, right? Oh, what large teeth you have, Grandma. It's almost, it's just sound, it's like weird. Better to eat you, right? Okay? And so Paul's saying like, I, I, I'm writing, like, why is he speaking about the uh, size of the hand letters that he's writing uh, with his own hand? Why is he calling attention to his writing? What is the significance here? Scholars have debated this a lot over the centuries. This has been a big uh, sort of sticky point where scholars like to debate little things like this, and this is one of them, because you're like, what's going on here? Why is he talking about the size of his letters? There's a lot of different theories that abound. One of them is that the Apostle Paul has... Uh, endured so many infirmaries. The, when, when you read through the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he's preaching the gospel in all these different places, he's beaten. He's been, tr people try to kill him by throwing rocks at him. He's been imprisoned. He's been lashed. He's, been, he's gone through the ringer and through all of these um, intense physical abuse and physical infirmaries, many scholars believe that Paul is near blind at the time of him writing this. 
He's literally been like knocked in the head with a rock too many times, and his vision uh, is not clear. And so the, the theory is he's writing with really big letters so that as he's proofreading what he's writing, he can actually read it. It's like a physical ailment. Uh, another theory is that same thing, because of all of the times he's been beaten, he's been lashed, he's been stoned, uh, that his hands uh, don't work quite right. And so he has to hold the stylus in such a way that he can't grip it like he used to, and so he has to write with really large letters because of the physical uh, disability from the amount of abuse that he endured through the proclamation of the gospel. Um, we also know that Paul, uh, it's clear in, some, in, in really some of his letters, he actually makes mention of them. He often just dictated his letters. He didn't actually write all of them down. Uh, we have mention of one of them in the New Test, one of the New Testament letters. But Paul would use what's called an amanuensis or a secretary. And he would dictate what he wanted to write to these churches and someone else would pen it. And then at the very end of the letter, he would sign his name and make any concluding remarks to show validation that it was, in fact, the Apostle Paul, that they could match up his handwriting uh, through him using this secretary. Um, And so I think what's happening here is Paul grabs the stylus, grabs the pen, the inkwell, from the amanuensis, and he wants to pen this final concluding thoughts himself. And with all of his physical ailments, his letters are large. And he makes mention of it, I think, uh, for all the reasons we just mentioned. And because I think he wants to know the emphasis of which and the gravity of which these concluding remarks he's making. He's wanting to show us... Uh, how emphatic he is about what he's writing about because as the Apostle Paul has shown us throughout this letter, the very gospel is at stake. There are false teachers distorting the gospel. The gospel is our only hope, not your own works, not your outward righteous appearances, not the tradition of men, but Jesus and him alone. In that message, the centrality of the gospel was at stake. And so Paul says, look at at which large letters I'm writing to you. This is urgent Take note. Don't ignore this. So he's moved with great urgency, and he's contending for the very gospel itself. And so what we're going to look at in these final two weeks in the book of Galatians is he is concluding these remarks. It looks like he's about to just land the plane, but then it's like there's this surge of power that goes through the Apostle Paul. It's like if any of you have ever been in an airplane and you're about to land and all of a sudden something isn't quite right on the runway, there needs to be some other thing that's checked and some other thing uh, that needs to be addressed. And you have one of those terrifying moments where the pilot pulls back up on the reins, the, the things that are kind of locked down for landing go back up and you bank hard And everyone freaks out, and it's pin drop silence. And you're just waiting for the captain to come back on and tell you why he has just circled again the runway. Because something needed to be addressed down there. It wasn't quite ready to land. This is what Paul's doing. It's like he's about to land. You think, oh, here it is. And then, in these few concluding remarks, he almost recaps and resummarizes the entire book of Galatians in a few short sentences. The surge of power, Paul cannot let it go. He keeps ringing the bell. 
So here's where we're going to be for the next two weeks. I've noticed uh, four things uh, that we're going to look at. Uh, We're only going to be in one today, and we're going to try to hit uh, three next week. And these are, the Apostle Paul is going to show us in these concluding remarks in the book of Galatians, the essentials of the Christian faith. The essentials of our Christian faith. Number one, the centrality of the cross. If you're a note taker, these might be worth noting. The centrality of the cross. Number two, the necessity of new birth in Christ. Number three, the priority of holiness. And number four, the reality of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a few short sentences, the Apostle Paul uh, unpacks all of this wonderful truth. So here this morning in our remaining time, uh, we're going to look at the centrality of the cross. And if you look at these verses carefully, um, even at the end here, as, as Paul uh, goes back to the importance of the cross, the centrality of the cross, this has been present in the entire letter. It's all he talks about. It's what he keeps coming back to over and over and over again. When we get tripped up in sin, when we think all these other things are what really matter and what really save us, he brings us back to the cross again and again and again. The cross was the only subject of Paul's boasting, as we saw in our verses this morning. If you would have asked anyone in the first century, what does Paul preach about? They would have said the cross, the bloody Roman cross that Jesus hung on. If you would have asked, what does Paul, if he, if he had one boast, if he talked about one thing, if he was so proud of one thing, what would it be? It would be the cross. And this is found all through this letter. Let me underscore this with a few verses. Galatians 3.1. He, he's beginning this letter. He says, oh, you foolish Galatians. It's harsh words. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You saw him on the cross, he said. Galatians 1.4, talking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Why did Jesus come? What was the significance of his death? The answer is right there. He gave himself for us. He hung on a cursed tree for us and bore our sins on his body. Why? To rescue you, to rescue me from this present evil age. Galatians 2.20, one of my most favorite verses in all all the Bible. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The cross again. He says, I've been crucified with him. Chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree, the cross of Christ. Now, when you notice this and you see this, this thread, this crimson thread, if you will, through the entire book of Galatians, 
And we pay close attention to these final verses, like in verse 12, where all these people, these religious people, are emphasizing external forms of religion or even these formal ways of getting to God. And Paul says, the reason why you think you just want to pretty yourself up in front of the Lord why you want to do all these external things that will make you acceptable to God, why you want to formalize the way in which God would view you through all these formal old traditions, the reason you want to do that, and the reason you and I are drawn to that, quite frankly, is because you do not want to face the persecution that is linked to the cross of Christ. You don't want to stand there. So when Paul says in verse 14, my great conviction is that my boast may be in the cross of Christ. He's emphasizing the cross is an essential truth for us. It is an essential truth that we should cling to and we should know and we should treasure. It's not just some theological thing that's out here in the fringes, that the cross is everything to us. He's bringing us back to the reality of the gospel, which is frankly unpalatable to the mind of most men and women. Remember when Paul was writing to the Corinthians? He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness. It's unpalatable. It's, they don't, we don't want to hear it when we aren't found in the Lord. It's foolishness to the Greeks. The scripture says it is a stumbling block to the Jews. And it's the reason that men and women don't want to hear about the Lord is because of the cross of Christ. Why? Why don't we want to hear about it? Why aren't droves and droves of people just filling, if we, just in the woodlands alone, in the surrounding areas of the woodlands alone, there are not enough seats in churches to fill the amount of people that we have in our communities. Why aren't all those people pouring in to all these empty chairs we have around us? Because the cross is so offensive. It's offensive. Because it exposes our sin. Um, the reason Jesus hung on the cross was because of my iniquity and your iniquity. And our sin, the Bible teaches, requires blood atonement for the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus hung there in our place. And when we look upon the cross, that old rugged cross as the song sung about, it showcases our rebellion and our sin ever present before us. Uh, And unfortunately, that message is even being lost in the church today. There are denominational wars fighting about what this really means. We have churches that will say, look to the cross and discover what a wonderful person you are. The cross reveals our great need for a wonderful Savior because of the state of our wretchedness. So when we look at the cross, we discover a major problem. But 
people don't like to be confronted with major problems. Um, so the cross is unpalatable for so many because it says we have a great need and we can't fix it ourselves and I can't pick myself up by the bootstraps and I can't find my own way and I can't find my own road. It says we are all under the righteous curse of the law and it says I'm unable to save myself and it says, oh no, I'm not a good, nice, wonderful person who just is trying to get by and I can't save myself and I can't get myself out of this. Notice Galatians 3.13. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed, who's hung on a tree. The gospel is that Paul, the person, are useless to save you. Paul says, Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, is our only hope. Jesus, through the bloody cross, makes us who are enemies and are naturally against one another into friends, and not only friends, but brothers and sisters. Only the power of the cross can do that. Not your best efforts, not your putting yourself up, not you jumping through the hoops. It all is the cross of Christ and his glorious resurrection, the gospel. Paul just keeps preaching about it, and he keeps talking about it. Um... Christ bore our sins and the curse that was on us precisely because we could not be free of it on our own in any other way. One died on our behalf, Jesus. It's something we could never do on our own. And by trusting and resting and casting ourselves upon the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, it's only then that our burdens are lifted. The scriptures tell us it's only then that sin and the sting of death is taken away from us by his righteousness. And now his everlasting life is then imputed to us and granted to us through faith in that which he has accomplished, not on what I can do. This truth is simple enough for a child to understand. So our kids fill these classrooms. We get to teach the gospel about to them, and it is profound enough for the most brilliant minds could never plumb the depths of it. That's why we can get up here week in and week out and keep talking about the glorious realities of the gospel. It should never cease to amaze us. It should never cease to lighten our hearts. We should never tire of hearing of the glorious realities of the gospel. In fact, in the scriptures, in Acts, it tells us that the angels are jealous of us that we get to gaze into and see and hear the gospel. The angels are jealous of you because of the glorious realities of the gospel and the implications it has for you and I. Isn't that an incredible thought? Sometimes we're like, oh, the angels, they get to, whatever they do, right? They're, that must be great. No, the angels are like, I, would, I can't believe y'all get the gospel. That's incredible. So this is an essential Christian truth. It is not just a theological 
idea that should be relegated to the back corners. This is biblical Christianity. Paul starts every letter and almost ends every letter here and fills the middle of every one of his letters this way. In fact, every issue that we tend to like to talk about or can't you do a series on parenting? Paul addresses parenting, but he addresses it with the gospel. Believe the gospel. He addresses marriage. He says, believe the gospel. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Every practical issue that we think is so necessary today, Paul always brings it back to the gospel, to the cross and the resurrection, saying you need more of that. And the fact that we think we don't is more fact that proof that we need more of the gospel. It's like the old Sunday school song, the old Scottish Sunday school song. No other door, no other way. No other guide to the realms of day. No other helper when tempted to stray. No other friend like Jesus. There is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. Good news, there is a door that is open that you may go in. At Calvary's cross, that's where you begin. You come as a sinner to Jesus. There's another old hymn. I like the old hymns. It says, are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That's the message of the gospel. Before I was a believer and I was presented with the gospel, I used to lay awake at night thinking, God, I know my life is spotted. I know I'm marred by sin. I know the thoughts that haunt me. I know the actions and sins I've committed. Is there any way to get these spots out? And I discovered that uh, even, even as a Christian, that all the perfume in the world will never cover up my sin. All the adornments I try to add on to myself will never save me. Only the blood of Christ at Calvary's cross cleanses us from our sin. This is a Christian essential. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So here, in in this verse, Galatians 2.21, we have two approaches to salvation. Two approaches to salvation. God's way, through grace, through faith. Galatians 2.16. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also, we have believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ. Not by the works of the law, because by works of law, no one will be justified. Meaning your sin will not be atoned for. There are two ways to salvation offered in the world today. One is God's way, through denying the place of human effort. It's by grace through faith plus nothing. And the other is man's way, which is the apex of human effort and human thought. And every other religion, and every other non-religion, and every other anti-religion, 
in every other way for man to try to uh, approach God or in every other way for man to try to be God. That we, uh, those are the waters we swim in today. Every other way is by human effort and they are attractive. Uh, And as time goes on, different ones pop up. There's a new shelf at the store, if you will. And every generation picks up a new one and they're so appealing and they're so attractive and we want to be defined by them because our culture props them up and says this is what it is all about. And we spend our lives trying to live up to them. Uh, and they're, they're packaged so well and so pretty and so beautiful that we run after them and we spend our resources on them and our time and our lives on them and we find out at the very end when we open it up, it's just sawdust. It doesn't satisfy It is not living water. The glorious offer of redemption in Jesus is foolishness to those who are perishing, the scripture says. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. The message of the cross uh, is often met with anger. See, I think our world today is ready to accept Christianity so long as it's kind of like the be a nice person, get along, um, don't ruffle anyone's feathers, you know, make sure there's prayer in the schools because that's really great. Uh, make sure that you're nice to your neighbor, that you maybe mow their lawn every now and again because that'll, that'll, that'll probably get you in. Uh, make sure there's ethical norms kind of these uh, packaged forms of what's acceptable religious uh, activity. The world can deal with that until we begin to proclaim the fact that there is a cross and a resurrection. Because at the cross, you and I and men and women and our world and our culture is confronted with our self-righteous inflated egos. And, it, and it's convicting, and we don't like to hear about it. John Stott, a great theologian, he wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. It is his most wonderful work. It is the paramount work on the atonement. If you don't have John Stott's The Cross of Christ, order it today uh, before we leave and read it because it's incredible. But when that book came out, it gained tremendous uh, backlash because the world despises the cross of Christ. Even amongst evangelicals and even amongst churches. Stott says, we need to visit Calvary often because it is there at the cross that we shrink to our true size. That's good. Modern man does not want to shrink. We want to stand tall in whatever foolish endeavor that we chase for all of our days. So, What is our responsibility? Um, Well, it's to bring this glorious saving cross and resurrection from the dead to men and women around us. It's at the cross that burdens roll away. It's at the cross that true life is found. It's at the cross that our sin is atoned for and we are no longer crushed by it. It's at the cross that we can be honest and vulnerable. It's at the cross that we can bring nothing yet gain everything. Um, 
So we need to have churches filled with the proclamation of the cross, not just an illusion that just be a nice person and get along and that will be enough. A crossless Christianity is no Christianity at all. That's what Paul's ringing the bell here at the end. My only boast is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. A crossless Christianity is a social club. And uh, social clubs out there, if you want that, you can find a better one than this one. That's for sure. I'm not good at social clubs. Um, So we're confronted with the centrality of the cross here in the scriptures and Jesus as a crucified and pierced savior. To quote Stott again, he says, if preachers preach a crucified Christ, they are opposed. They are ridiculed. They are persecuted. And I think He wrote that years and years ago, and I think today we could probably add another word that is almost probably more applicable. They are ignored. Who cares? Move on. Quit going on about all this. Why? Because the wounds of the cross uh, hits our pride and ego. So this morning, as we close, I just want to ask this question of you. Can you say here this morning, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm rejoicing all the day. That's what the cross does. I'm not asking if you've had feelings about God. I'm not asking if something has happened in your life that you moved a little bit closer to religious ideals. I'm asking this morning to each of you and anyone listening, if you've been to the cross and got down on your knees and said, God, forgive me, a wretched sinner. I need you and your atoning blood. I long for you. I want to have you as my savior. Have you been there? If you haven't, I can't think of a better day than today to throw yourself at the foot of the cross and receive the life that only Christ can give to you through his cross and his glorious resurrection. If yes, if you say yes here this morning, then I want to ask you this question. Um, are you in the fight for the mission of God? In other words, are you prepared to take the message of the cross of Christ into your intellectual community, into your workplace, into your home, into your neighbor's home, amongst your friends? That's where this message makes inroads. Um, That a group of people so enraptured and so changed by the glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ found at the cross that our sin was washed away through the covering of his blood would then leave this place and walk into our spheres of influence and proclaim the goodness of the gospel found in the cross and glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how churches grow. Um, I can put a billboard up down the road 
and write those words on a billboard, but the way it becomes believable and the way the gospel becomes real in people's lives is when God's people bring that glorious hope into and into bear in other people's lives. Not through a commercial or a billboard. Through you. We're God's church. We're God's people. We're his ambassadors. We are his billboard. Um, May our boast, like the Apostle Paul stated in our verses today, be only in the cross of Christ. It is so easy for us to find our boast in a million other little things. And they pale and they're insignificant. And if we're not careful, we can spend our lives on them and miss the point entirely. Um, So believer here today, let us boast only in the cross. It is the greatest need of our world today. Jesus says it this way. If anyone wants to be my disciple, is that anyone in here? Do you want to be the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him take up his cross every day, every day, and die to himself and follow Those are Jesus' words. The essential of the centrality of the cross. That we find our lives in our crucified and risen king. And we take that every day into the world in which we find ourselves. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that for the joy set before you, you endured our shame, and that you marched to the cross and that you would have counted it joy, God, to redeem us, men and women, marked by sin and failure and need, and we brought you nothing, and through the cross and faith in what you've done, you gave us everything, salvation and life and hope. And God, I just pray that we would be able to echo with the words of the Apostle Paul, that that is our only boast and that is our only aim, God, and that we would live lives spent on boasting in the great cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray for anyone in here that has never been washed in the blood of the Lamb at Calvary's cross. There's no magic words. God, I pray that this morning someone here maybe for the very first time could say with me, Lord, my efforts are not enough. My religious activity is not enough. My sins are too great and too many. And so God, would you save me through Jesus and his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. I believe in what he has done, that he has conquered sin and death for me. And through faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, I am now counted as a son and daughter of the Most High. Lord, we thank you for your great grace. In Jesus' name.